It's a brisk night in April of 1865. The American Civil War has just ended. A Mississippi steamboat is carrying thousands of Union soldiers upstream as they return to their homes from a long and bloody war. All is quiet except for the currents of the river lapping against the boat and perhaps the rustling of a few sleeping soldiers. Then, as the steamer rounds a bend in the river, a tremendous bang lets out. An explosion sends hundreds of men hurling into the river, and a fire breaks out aboard the remains of the steamer. The SS Sultana is sinking, and thousands of war heroes will lose their lives to the black Mississippi waters. But how could this happen? How could this happen, and yet today, most Americans don't even know about it? Well, that, that is the subject of today's show. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Reexamined. This is a show in which I try to shed light on often overlooked events in history. Though I am not technically a historian, I hope that you will still be able to find the program enjoyable. So sit back and relax while I tell you the story. I'll be your host, Peyton Ballancourt. Hello everyone, and thank you for joining me here today for the first episode of this podcast. So the SS Sultana was your average run-of-the-mill, side-wheeled Mississippi steamboat. The 1,719-ton steamer was 260 feet long and built in 1863. Now that's 40 feet shy of an American football field for those of you, like myself, who have a really hard time visualizing numbers. Now, the SS Sultana regularly transported passengers all along the Mississippi River between New Orleans and St. Louis. A seasoned riverman by the name of Captain J.C. Mason was the man in charge of piloting the ship. At the time, he was trying to uphold his recently given reputation as being the fastest captain to navigate the river. When making one of his regular runs along the Mississippi, Mason stopped in a riverside town called Vicksburg, to meet with an army quartermaster named Colonel Reuben Hatch. To give you a bit of context as to what's happening at the time, Confederate General Robert E. Lee had officially surrendered on April 9th, and though there would still be fighting for a few more days, the American Civil War was truly in its closing scenes. Abraham Lincoln had also just been assassinated in Ford's Theater by John Wilkes Booth, as I'm sure most of you already know, on April 15th. With the war drawing to a close, the federal government was trying to incentivize Mississippi steamboat captains to bring Union soldiers back to their northern homes. Hatch had told Mason that the government was going to pay $5 for every soldier and $10 for every officer that they could return home. And so the two of them make a deal for Hatch to gather as many soldiers as he could in Vicksburg and for Mason to pick them up on his return trip. Now it's April 21st, and Mason steers the SS Sultana into port in Vicksburg. His crew is doing a routine check of the boat's equipment when they are dismayed to discover that one out of four boilers is leaking quite terribly. Now though boiler-powered steamships were at the height of their popularity, their technology was far from perfect. The boilers were notorious for being temperamental and often had to be repaired because of their tendency to malfunction so often. 
In any other situation, perhaps the repair wouldn't have been that big of a deal to Mason and his engineers, but today, in their current situation, the repair would be a gigantic blow to Mason and his crew because it risked compromising the timeline and the big payoff of their contract. So today, Mason decided that he couldn't risk his payday, and he ordered his chief engineers to do a quick patch job on the boiler rather than the long-term repairs that they so desperately required so they could continue on with their tight schedule. It's now the morning of April 24th. Chief Quartermaster Reuben Hatch has over 1,400 men ready and waiting to board the SS Sultana, with even more expected to arrive by train throughout the day. Now, it's worth noting here that the Sultana was only legally certified to carry 376 passengers, in addition to the boat's crew of 88 people. 376 passengers, folks. Let's keep that number in mind. And as if that wasn't enough, the steamboat was carrying a ridiculous cargo of 2,000 hogsheads of sugar. Now, a hogshead is more of an old-fashioned unit. It's essentially a large cask or a barrel filled with whatever goods needed transporting. So perhaps tobacco or barley, or in this case, sugar. So with these hogsheads filled with sugar, each one ended up weighing between 1,200 and 2,000 pounds. That's up to a ton. So imagine for a moment, somewhere between 1,700 and 2,400 soldiers begin to crowd their way onto the ship. It would be a sea of faded blue uniforms hanging on gaunt men who had just faced the horrors of war, and most of them had just been released from the tortures of rebel prison camps. Most of them were weak and tired, suffering from malnutrition and disease. All four decks of the steamer were so unbelievably crowded that the boat's crew was actually reported to have wedged large beams between them so as to counter the sagging floors. On the evening of the 26th of April, the SS Sultana limps her way into Memphis with her ridiculous load, pushing her boilers to the extreme. Now one might think that when she offloaded her sugary cargo and a handful of soldiers in Memphis, that the Sultana would have an easier time of things. But in reality... This really only made matters worse, because when the boat left its moorings that evening, it was now extraordinarily top-heavy. On top of that, the steamer was now entering into heavier currents because of spring's lovely gift of mud season and the massive floodwaters that it would bring to the Mississippi. Now I'd like to talk a little bit more about the boilers. As I said earlier in the show, these boilers were known for their unreliability. So each boiler chamber fills with water and is heated by a firebox that sits beneath them. As the water is heated, it creates steam, which in turn powers the boat. Pretty simple stuff, right? However, imagine the top-heavy boat, already overfull, is now struggling against flood currents and listing from side to side. As the boat would rock, all of the water in the boilers would rush to one side, leaving the other part of the boiler's iron to get exposed and become red-hot. Think of a blacksmith's forge. Then, as the ship lists to the other side, the water would also shift and instantly cool the red-hot metal, and this 
would create massive amounts of steam and put tremendous amounts of strain and pressure on the outer walls of these boilers. So now it's the morning of April 27th, 1865. The SS Sultana has just left Memphis and is about seven miles upstream, lurching its way around a cluster of islands called the Hen and Chickens. All of the soldiers are fast asleep, perhaps dreaming of their loved ones and of the good meal that they were looking forward to when they got home. And then, at some time between 2 and 3 a.m., it happened. A tremendous crash lets out during the night. The tired boilers had exploded. The buildup of steam sent sleeping soldiers flying hundreds of feet into the arms of the unforgiving Mississippi. These men were already feeble and weak, and now they were also disoriented and trying to understand what was unfolding before them. When the boiler blows, it causes at least one of the smokestacks to come crashing down on the upper decks. Red-hot coals from the fireboxes fan out, and things go from bad to worse when the Sultana ignites into a four-decker inferno. This sparks a primal fear in the already scared men remaining aboard, who then rush to the only place they thought would be safe, the bow of the Sultana. It would be panic that would get the best of these men, just as with many comparable disasters. People are shouting and shoving, and the mere 76 life preservers and the two small lifeboats become nearly useless. Then the wind shifts, and so too does the fire in the direction of the bow. Imagine for a moment the terrible sounds that rang out that night. The shouts, the panic cries, the last-minute prayers, and moans of those accepting their fate. Those who couldn't bear to burn in the fire now licking at their feet chose instead to take their chances with the black Mississippi waters. If the men were lucky, they managed to find a bit of wreckage that floated well enough to support their weight, something to help them in their weakened state to survive long enough for the first responders to find them. One survivor named Philip Horn gives this account. Quote, when the explosion took place, I was lying on the left side of the boat on the cabin guard at the foot of the stairs that goes up to the hurricane deck. I was either blown through the stairway or thrust sideways out the river, but my first consciousness was that of being in the air. When I struck the water, I went down twice, when, upon rising the second time, I encountered a piece of the wreck which I seized. I think it was part of the cabin guard, which was about twenty feet in length by six to eight feet in width. Seven other comrades clung to the wreck upon which we floated down the river, passing the city of Memphis. On the way down in this life-and-death struggle, two of the men, through sheer exhaustion, relinquished their hold, and sinking back into the arms of the cruel river, were drowned. I do not know their names. They were strangers to me. End quote. Another man named Otto Barden later gives his account of the incident. Quote, I was cold and benumbed and was in a sinking condition, but having presence of mind, I reached and got my board and called aloud to God for help. I rubbed my arms and got the blood in circulation again. Soon we were among the timber on the hen and chickens island, clinging to trees, but being too cold and benumbed to climb a tree. 
I had the good luck of finding saplings under the water. I put my foot in the fork and raised myself out of the water. I soon got warm and swam to a larger tree and clung to it, but it was not there very long until I got so cold that I fell from the tree into the water. I swam to the same tree and clung to it and called aloud to God for his assistance. I saw a man break open this trunk. It contained only ladies' dresses, so it was no help to us. One of these men that had clung to the trunk was so cold that he drowned with his arms around the tree. End quote. Bystanders on the nearby shores of Memphis would be the first to take action. They were able to go out onto the water and pull approximately 786 half-dead men from the water. These victims were then sent to local hospitals where between 200 and 300 of them would later die from injuries and illnesses. The total death toll from the tragedy is estimated to be between 1,600 and 2,000 people. Now, I apologize for this being such a gruesome topic, but it needs to be talked about. To put these numbers into perspective for you, almost 50 years later, when the Titanic sinks, everyone is devastated because they can't wrap their heads around the disaster. But chew on this. You could fit more than three full-sized Sultanas in the Titanic, and yet the Sultana was carrying at least 650 more passengers and had at least 300 more casualties. Every day, for nearly a month, bodies continued to wash ashore from the Sultana disaster, and there were entire crews in Memphis whose job was to collect them. Now imagine the process of trying to identify the victims and then inform their families of their loss. These soldiers were just hours away from safety, and it is truly a shame that so few people today remember the accident. Now some of you might be wondering, why didn't you learn about this in your history class? Well, the tragedy is not remembered today because it was overshadowed by the events that were happening at the time. You have to imagine that the drama of the Civil War and the deaths of Abraham Lincoln and Booth himself are clogging the headlines of the newspapers. In fact, publishers do not wish to shock the American people with any more stories of waste of human life and decide to delay giving the story any of the paper's real estate. Then, days later, when the papers do finally decide to tell the people about the maritime disaster, they really only allot a few small inches of print to the back pages. And so, the loss of thousands of soldiers goes down as a forgotten story of the American Civil War. Captain J.C. Mason is reported to have died in the disaster when the initial explosion ripped through the pilot house of the ship. Colonel Hatch is never held responsible for the overloading of the Sultana because he simply quits the army and is out of the reach of the military justice system at the time. So the military justice system then goes after the next best thing, one of Hatch's underlings named Captain Speed who really just becomes the scapegoat for the whole situation. Speed is then court-martialed, found guilty on all accounts, and is dishonorably discharged from the army. No one else is ever held responsible for the disaster. Now, I'm sure there will be some of you who are already familiar with the incident and will wonder why I haven't mentioned the theory of it being a form of Civil War sabotage. For those of you who are curious, survivors of the disaster immediately blamed it on a Confederate bomb that was allegedly placed in the fireboxes beneath the boilers. 
Most historians have dismissed this theory, and though I am not a historian, I tend to agree with them on this point. If it was a bomb, it would have blown out the whole bottom of the ship, and the Sultana would have sank to the bottom of the river much faster than it did. We know that most of the hull was intact because the boat took a while to sink, and it drifted quite a ways all while it was ablaze. However, the truth of the matter is that no one really knows what happened that night, and because no one has fronted the money to find and investigate the wreckage, I can't tell you what happened. All I can say is that I've tried to present the story in a fair manner, and you are more than free to interpret the evidence in your own way. I tend to believe that the sinking of the SS Sultana can be attributed to the alignment of a series of unfortunate circumstances. It is really a prime example of historical happenstance. What I mean by that is, how might things be if the circumstances were different? What if Hatch and Mason didn't overload the ship and allowed some of the soldiers to board some of the other available steamers? What if the boiler was properly repaired and wasn't forced to work so hard against the flood currents? What if more men stopped off in Memphis, or if removing the cargo didn't make the steamer top-heavy? No one can really say for sure, but if even one of these factors was taken out of the equation, it is possible that thousands of people would have made it home to their families that day. Then, there would be a good reason why most people haven't heard about the sinking of the Sultana, because it might not have ever even happened. Well, that's all I have for today's show. If you're interested in checking out the sources that are used in today's episode, I'll leave a link for that in the description. Hopefully, in our next program, I will try my best to cover a less gruesome topic. Alrighty. Thank you ever so much for listening, and I hope to catch you next time.